The Paralympics GB podcast with Hannah Cockcroft. Hello, I'm Hannah Cockcroft, and this is the official Paralympics GB podcast, a show that gets under the skin of my fellow Paralympics GB athletes and discovers exactly what it's like to represent Britain on the world stage. Today, my guest is someone who has been voted as one of the most influential disabled people in the UK, along with becoming one of the first female television presenters in the world with a physical disability. She's presented at the London 2012, Rio 2016 and Tokyo 2020 Paralympic Games alongside a huge host of other shows and is most definitely a pioneer in changing the representation of disability on television. I am so excited to introduce one of my absolute inspirations and I cannot wait for the discussion that we're about to have. Please welcome Sophie Morgan. Sophie, thank you so, so much for joining me. I'm really nervous. Because normally I speak to athletes and it's really easy. So you have you're something completely different to this podcast. So yeah, I'm excited to see what you have to speak about. Thanks for having me. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. Although I do completely empathise. You know, the roles are normally reversed, aren't they? And it's sort of, I know the fears. I know the, I know what you mean. So don't worry. It's all good. It's nice to see you. If I'm talking rubbish at any point, just, you know, just tell me to shut up. It's fine. Yeah. People do. So I think the best place to start is at the beginning. What were you like growing up? I mean, was the dream to always be a TV presenter or was that something that just came along and happened? Oh, wow. Absolutely not. Do you know, I think if I met my younger self and said what I'd be doing, I would have laughed me out of the room. But I would, it was so not on my agenda. So, so to answer your question, I think looking back on it, which I have because I'd just written a book. So I spent quite a lot of time like, re- like going through my diaries and reminding myself of the kind of person I was when I was younger. And I think I was very, I was very headstrong and I was really difficult, actually. I was quite kind of like, when when I was really little, I was, I was sweet and I was nice. And then I hit my teens and I I was a nightmare and I I kind of pushed back quite a lot. I was trying very hard, I think. Well, certainly my diaries would allude to the fact I was trying very hard to work out who I was and, you know, all the things that every, most teenagers go through. I think I'm, I was, you know, trying to work out my identity but also trying to figure out where I was going to go next. And I was fixated on leaving school. I was really like, you know, pushing back on the kind of authorities around me. So I was quite difficult and quite like headstrong. I was fun though. And I loved sport. My favourite thing was sport. I used to play every sport I could get, I could. And it was very much like where I went to get rid of all my, you know, pent up frustrations with boys and school and rules and stuff. (laughs) But yeah, I was I was that kind of kid for sure. And then at eighteen, you had your accident, a car accident that left you paralysed from the waist down. Yeah. How long did it take you to come to terms with that? And I guess to realise that your life had completely changed. You know, I, I speak to friends all the time. I was born with my disability, so I never had to come to terms with anything. This has always been my life. But I speak to friends who were in similar situations and. And some of them are like, yeah, no, I still haven't come to terms with it. Still not okay with it. Or some of them are like, instantly it was fine. Kind of which way did you go? Or are you stuck in the middle? I'm probably a bit of both. And it would probably depend on the day. And it would probably depend on, you know, what we're unpacking at the time. So I'll give you an example. So yes, I was in the car crash when I was 18 years old. It was the day I got my A-level results. And I was driving home from a party where we've been celebrating and I lost control. And was paralyzed overnight, you know, like instantly, obviously. And waking up in a very different body about a week later, 
that's when it became clear, obviously, the physical differences were going to be monumental. And I think, obviously, from that moment onwards, there was a huge amount of learning. That, and, and I think, to be honest, it's not as cliche as some might think, you know, that kind of like, oh, the moment the doctor walks in and says, oh, you're never going to walk again. And and then everyone falls down crying and everything. It, it wasn't. It, it's it, for me. It wasn't like that. There was a gradual, a gradual sort of awakening to the reality that my legs weren't responding and various things weren't working the same. And and then I was having to, as I was recovering and going through rehabilitation, there was the steep learning curve of managing paralysis and all of that would that that would entail from catheterizing to learning to wash again to I mean all of it. I liken it, and some people with spinal injury are the same. We liken it to but kind of almost being born again. You have to learn all these skills again, like you're brand new from going to the toilet to getting dressed, as I say, to literally how do you go out and about again as a wheelchair user. The learning is extraordinary and intense, and some of that process was okay for me. Some of it, I was like, oh, I've got an analyst. Some of it has taken me nearly 20 years. I'm still not to grips with it, you know. So <laughs> you ask me how I feel about the fact that I still, you know, there's things that I can't do, like dancing with my pals. I'd say that has taken me a lifetime to come to terms with, whereas, you know, the fact that I couldn't drive normally, who cares? I got back in a car and I've got hand controls. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. some of the actions were quick, some weren't. And I think the truth of it is, because I just I sort of explained a little bit the context in which I crashed. I I was quite an independent and headstrong young person, as I said, and I think that made the adapting both easier and a lot harder. So whilst I think that many of us, there are lots of us who have spinal injury, and we talk about our lived experiences, or there are shared threads. I think it's really important to distinguish that the person who we were in the life before and the person that we become. I think it's really important to to explain that because when I was injured, there was so much that I was planning on, as as many what people will will relate to who suffer a trauma. It's certainly the last thing on your mind, of course. But then it's the sort of letting go of some some of those dreams and letting go of some of that character. It's different for everybody, isn't it? Because we're all different. So I th- I think my journey has been it's been made yeah, like I said, a bit harder by some things because of the way I was before. But I think some of the tenacity and and different and sort of the way in which I approached life helped me in the, in this next life to become you know a little bit more resilient I suppose as I grew up. But it's been a process. <laughs> Definitely that. Do you ever think about what life could have been like, and not just in a negative way? You know, I think when when I ask that question, people expect that I'm asking it in a you know, you get up in the morning, and you think, oh, what if I could just stand out of bed or oh, what if I could, I wish I could walk down the aisle when I get married. But do you ever think back to what it would have been like right now if you were able-bodied? No, I don't. I don't find that question helpful. And I get slightly, coming from you, I get it. Coming from, I get it mostly from non-disabled people who yeah. assume that that's kind of something that we are riddled with if we have, a, if we acquire a disability is this, constant and for some people sure but I I haven't again it depends on the subject there are some things I might go oh you know I wish I could do that still but I don't spend a lot of time thinking about you know what I would have been it's almost like saying I don't know contemplating for example what would it have been like if you were born a man or is it hell I don't know I'm not I have no idea and I can't fantasize in that respect because 
it's impossible. So I think the short answer is I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. And I don't think it's helpful to you either, for me anyway. It is one of those questions that follows you around. You know, I, I get it a lot. And I do, I strangely do think about it sometimes. You know, I think, oh, I, I wonder what it's like to walk on the beach. I wonder what that feels like. I wonder... It's incredible, isn't it? Because you're right. And this is the debate, I think, that many of us who are born with our disabilities and, and those of us who acquire them later on in life have had often. I don't know if you've had this with some of your pals, but I have. Who And, and you were like, oh, it's, it, it's... I remember one of me and a girlfriend who had never walked debating this. And she was like, oh, it's, it's harder for you because you know what it was like and you know what to miss and I don't know what I'm missing that's her her point and I was like but you don't you've never tried it so you don't know what you're missing and we had this this funny little kind of like debate about it but who knows and again it's horses for courses I think everybody's got their different you know attitude towards these things so yeah (laughs) do you think that attitude like I follow you avidly on social media I love watching everything that you're up to because it's always something so different and so exciting and I watch it and I think I can't believe she's doing that as a wheelchair user that's amazing you know from scuba diving to riding your motorbike to just all these things that I think growing up I never saw that so I grew up with a very a kind of an attitude of like oh I can't do that and I'm fine I'm fine with that like I, I just accept that I can't do things but do you think maybe that's kind of why you push the limits that's why you find a another way to do all these just amazing things to make people think outside the box and go oh it, it is possible she's doing it i i could do that i don't want to scuba dive by the way i'm terrified of fish so i'm not signing up to that <laughs> do you know what i love you asking me that and thank you for following i honestly i have to say i think my motivation has come from the fact that when i was injured i too was then thrust into that space of oh these are all the things i can't do and also, not just because of my internalised ableism, but because all around me, everyone was saying, oh, you can't do that. Not from a malicious perspective, more literally like people were like, no, no, I don't think that's possible. And 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 so I came to realise as I started growing up and, and obviously being exposed to various different people and various different opportunities, I started to realise, hold on a minute, some of these def- definitions of can't certainly can be redefined by me or I you know and I was seeing it I was seeing I was I was literally meeting people that I had thought they were doing things that I didn't think were possible and I was like hold on okay so maybe it's time for me to work out for myself what's possible and I think I've been motivated by that since you know maybe that's I'd say maybe for the last decade or so it's been a really a case of like right hold on a minute okay why about if I are these my self-limiting beliefs or are these somebody else's and I keep questioning, like, where does this come from? Is it because, je- of course, there are so many things that I can't do that we can't do. And I, I don't like it when people say, "Oh, you know, disabled people, if you just have a positive attitude, you can do anything." I'm like, yeah. no, 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 that's absolute, <laughs> you know, like, so things we can't do because we are limited. I mean, for me, as somebody with spinal injury, I'm actually paralysed from the the chest down, and and as a result some of the the things I can't do are, are actually impossible for me and I and I have to adapt to that and accept that but the things that I can do if I physically can do them I always think well shit, I should then because there's so much yeah. I can't do the list is like so small of things that I can do <laughs> so I keep just like chucking myself at it and I, I get I do get a kick out of it but I would say I do it a lot 
for me and but I hope it will inspire other people but I certainly do not get off on that like oh if I can do it you can do it because I'm so aware that that's a really dangerous attitude to have or dangerous message to to sell because I'm aware that there are people out there that cannot physically do this you know a quadriplegic who's ventilated would not be able to ride a motorbike like I am and so for me to sit there I go oh disabled people can do this because I can it's dangerous and we're not representative of our community just because we're able to do something and I've learned that over the years I used to be a lot like that when I was younger I'd be like oh disabled people can do anything because I can because I I was I, I didn't know many disabled people so I was defining it for myself so do you know what I mean so that that's certainly changed but I, I do hope it inspires me and I love you for saying that and I hope well, aside from the fishes if you ever want to get on a motorbike and <laughs> I'd love to take you out on my bike. It is just so much fun. I say motorbike, it's actually a trike. It's a three-wheeled, it's called a canam. It's got two wheels on the front and one on the back. And um, so it's self-stabilizing. So someone like me who has got the balance can actually ride it. And oh my God, it's so much fun. So if you ever want to have a go, just shout, get you on there. Definitely up for that. I mean, Paralympics GB are probably going to listen to this and go, yeah, no, not a Oh yeah, spot you, sorry, yeah, no. <laughs> When you wake when it with five, but you can miss that. All right. <laughs> and I'm retired. I'll I'll give you a shout when I'm there. Uh, I'm all done. Okay. <laughs> now, I've, all of the people I speak to on this podcast so far have been athletes, so you are a little bit out of that box. But um, speaking around, you know, pushing yourself and doing different activities, you went on a expedition covering 220 miles across. Right, I've got to get the pronunciation of this right, and I'm definitely not gonna uh, Nicaragua. Nicaragua yeah Nicaragua. nailed it yeah um, with 11 other disabled people for a tv show in 2004 was it for starters how different was that for something that you would do because just watched a bit of it and I'm, I'm not signing up to that do you know what honestly I look back and I'm like what was I thinking because <laughs> I honestly wouldn't do it today Hannah no way would I do that today the reason I did it looking back and obviously I have reflected on this quite a lot as I do with all the things that I get up to, the sort of silly decisions I make, I, w- I had a point to prove. I just had a point to prove to myself, to the wider public about disability. I'd only been injured about, set, I think at that point, about nine months or something. So I was like, on a, I, as, a, as, I knew, as I spoke about earlier, I was on the steep learning curve of like, what is it to be disabled? What is it to be a paraplegic? What is it to be a young woman working out my identity in this new life, in this new body, in this new environment? And I was doing all right you know I had got I got home out of hospital and I was I was making friends I was getting back into my life and I was driving and I I was like wow I'm getting the hang of this and so when this opportunity came around to go and do this expedition because of who I was before and I'd done not anything like that but I had done expeditions where I'd gone out you know and like been camping and I was like I'm not going to if I could swear on this podcast um, no idea. I know. Well, I um, I, I was like, oh, I'd love to do that. And I'd also love people watching this show. Bear in mind, it's a BBC show. It's going to have a primetime audience. It's like, oh, this is a great space to go, hey, guys, what do you think about disability? Maybe you're wrong. And so I went in there with that agenda and it was absolutely impossible. It was impossible. As you would imagine, taking a paraplegic who's only been injured for about, you know, less than a year into the jungle to come <laughs> and struggle. I mean, it was just, and I look back on it and I think, oh, bless you, you little idiot. But I think <laughs> at the same time, I also learned a lot, Hannah. I learned actually, okay, hold on a minute. I learned two major things. One is 
your environment really disables you, right? It doesn't matter how yeah. positive you are. It doesn't matter how adapted you are. If your environment is impossible, you're disabled. That's the truth of it. You know what I mean? And that was really important to, for me to learn at that point. The other thing was I learned telly is a great place to two things. One is it, it will help you travel. TV will get you into places that as a wheelchair user, I didn't think I could go. And I thought that's a ticket to travel. Hell yeah, I'm going to take that if I can. And the other is it's a tool through which to change people's perceptions because certainly that show did. I don't think I, my role in it did, but you know, Addie's role in it and various other amazing contributors really did help redefine you know, perceptions at that time. It was, it was a really groundbreaking show. So I, I left with this like renewed sense of, right, okay, I had never wanted to be a tele presenter. I'd never wanted to work in TV. I was an artist. I was, I was training as a painter. But I, I recognized how much it could give me and how much it could give our community and stuff. And I thought, it's worth pursuing. But the fact of the matter is, at that time, as you said, it was 2004, there was very little opportunity to work on TV. You know full well, it's taken years. I mean, we're talking nearly two decades until people like you and I would get more out there on TV. And the Paralympics was certainly not, at that time, our ally in helping us get through those glass ceilings. It was impossible. So it wasn't like I could suddenly go, oh, I want to be a TV presenter. <laughs> and it happened. I mean, we're talking, I didn't really get into telly until... 2016 so another 12 years you know so it was it was a funny funny experience but the jungle itself was a learner a learner for sure you're not selling it to me i don't know what I was, honestly if i could go back and talk to myself i'd have strong words uh, yeah but you surely you would never not go and do that surely you know i think i have to say in my lifetime it's been it's been weird i've learned a lot about myself and my disability on telly yeah and that's a weird place to be getting to grips. You know, uh, and like you said, you were born with a disability, but I I wasn't. And I had a lot to learn. In fact, I'm still learning. And and so for me to be out there on, in a public space, getting to grips with my body. I mean, there was a moment where I just broke down crying and I was sort of pinching my legs. The reality was just too much, you know gets paralyzed and then less than a year later goes to the jungle of Nicaragua <laughs> it's like what are you doing but um so yeah I've toned that back I've just been more realistic in my goal setting I'd say but I think it's so important for the public not even just not even the public for people like you to to see that side of reality so I first remember you on Britain's missing top model I remember I think it was like 2008 time I was like 15 16 I just started wheelchair racing I was just like you know that was my first step into sport it was my first introduction to disabled people I didn't see disability anywhere I grew up in a really able-bodied environment and it was it was great it was fine and I remember when that show came on you were the first disabled person you were the first wheelchair user I'd ever seen on telly and I remember sitting down every like Wednesday or Thursday night with my mom and watching it and you know what you were actually the person that made me feel okay with my wheelchair you were the person that I watched and I kind of watched you and thought I'm gonna be all right like look at what she's doing look how great she looks look at everything I'm gonna be okay because kind of until that point I'd hit I hated my wheelchair I didn't use it at all growing up I walked around I struggled to get around because that made me feel normal it made me feel like everybody else yeah. and it's because growing up People like you and me, we weren't on television. We weren't in magazines. We weren't out there. So actually watching you on that program was 
literally a life-changing moment for me. It was oh. it was massive. It was massive watching that show. That was good when you didn't win. You were running. <laughs> oh, my God. Hannah, you've given me goosebumps. I have to say, it's really nice hearing that because I don't look back on that experience very fondly. It was really tough. And so I, I if, if that had a positive impact on you, then it was all worth it because it was actually a real... For me, it was a really weird experience. And, and weird is a vague term. So without unpacking it all, I just, the experience was tough, I think, because I was, again, once again, coming to terms with so much about my appearance, my identity, my body, my, you know, this was before the days of body positivity. I was, like you said, like there was very few wheelchair users on telly and I, I found myself really up against it. Like I didn't have the language, I didn't have the tact and I didn't have the skill to recognize that I was scared and actually a lot of the time struggling to understand how on earth can we all compete in this environment like there was times when you know in a very visible competition I was a wheelchair user with paralysis being put up against somebody who's got a sensory impairment a woman with a sensory impairment and those challenges that I tried to navigate and I look back on it and I I didn't do well there and I found that hard to reconcile afterwards and some of those communities I felt I let down you know and I, I think for me also it was really hard plucking up the courage to do the modeling, to do the thing. Because I didn't mm -hmm. feel great about my body. I didn't feel I'd got to terms with it. It was so, it was, it was very, it felt, you know, that wonderful expression about just being visible as a wheelchair user is an act of rebellion or being visible when you're different is an act of rebellion. And I felt so much like that. I felt like, right, be strong. You've got this. You can do this. Even though inside I was like, are you kidding? My internalized ableism was in off the chart throughout that whole experience. So, but I did it, and I was proud of it in the end. In the sense that we represented, we were a group of women who were very rarely seen on telly, and look, we did. So that was cool. But I think personally, it was sort of like I don't know. I was struggling a lot. So I'm really pleased that you had that positive reaction to it because I. I didn't, and I came away from it just like, what am I doing this on telly? Why am I doing this on telly? Why am I working these things out? And and it was a strange experience in the sense that I don't think that show would have been made today, Hannah. I don't think that that kind of... I agree. You agree, yeah. I, I, I think, yeah, it was just, it was ahead of its time, but I think it was problematic for some reason, for, for various reasons. And so, yeah, and you know, actually, it's funny, it's been funny watching the way in which, like, that format has come up against some criticism in the years since, not our show necessarily, but the show that it was inspired mm -hmm. by America's Next Top Model. And people have kind of plucked out some of the reasons why it was problematic. And I was like, yeah, that was the same for us. I think it was a difficult environment to be in. For, but certainly for all that time, I was there for like nearly six weeks or something in that house. So it was kind of wild. But anyway, it was all a learning. <laughs> and I think watching you learn kind of, it definitely helped me learn. And, and I'm sure... There are plenty of others that watched it and, and you helped them as well. And I don't know, it interests me that you had such a negative experience because it gave me such a positive one. It gave me, I guess, just someone to see and, and someone to look up to. So, yeah, I met you not long after it and I was so... Well, I met you at London 2012 and I was so star starstruck. It's complicated. I think it was just because... And like I said, it's just a process of growing up. And I did, was doing that on telly and... It was just uh, an extraordinary experience, again, to kind of unpack your baggage on a BBC show and get to grips with it. And 
But yeah, I think it was for disabled women and for disabled people, perhaps a moment where we go, okay, hold on. There are things that we haven't got quite yet right in representation yet. And I, and, and I certainly felt like I was really privileged to be part of that. The BBC are starting to work out how to do disability differently. And that is fun. And let's see where that goes. Yeah. How do you think the representation of disabled people, disabled presenters has changed, you know, since that moment, since it's everything? Oh, it's, this is a subject that we could just, I could unpack on a whole other, whole other podcast. Right? I, think, <laughs> I think it's, in short, I think it's a lot better. But wow, we have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. So I'd say the fact is, it's what, how many years later? And we've got still only a handful, maybe maybe a few bit old, but not many disabled presenters. We've got a few disabled actors, actresses. So we, it is better, but I think it's still, you know, the authentic representation that we so urgently need. And we so think we, we need for so many reasons but I think the disability experience is so still mis- so misunderstood that I think we need to constantly check in and constantly make sure that we're going in the right direction and and there have been moments in in this journey where people have flagged look we might be doing all right but we're still not going in the right direction you know there was people like Jack Thorne who's a writer who who identifies as disabled he he did a very very powerful speech about this not long ago in front of the whole television audience saying that disabled people have been failed and that we as a group are still, you know, misrepresented, if represented at all. So, you know, that was only a few years back. So what I would say is, I think as one of the few that has been given an opportunity to work on television, and you you are too, we're lucky and it's great. And I, and I think we, you know, I hope there's more of us basically I hope I hope it continues to grow but we've still got a long way to go so yeah but I mean you know look what's happened in that time so so we're talking about that was 2008 then we had the 2012 games on channel 4 we've had the the subsequent subsequent games after that and then the other sports that have been broadcast and so if you if you do a comparison you go look what was happening at 2008 when we'd just seen one modeling show on BBC3 and it was it was kind of hailed as groundbreaking and all that now you look and disability is integrated, incidentally, or it is core to the portrayal of disability on telly in some shows. So, you know, if you if you, if you can make a comparison to that, we're really good. But if you make a comparison to, say, other marginalised groups, perhaps we're not. You know, it depends where you draw your metrics from. And so, yeah, the, the journey continues. It definitely does. I mean, it's it's kind of positive in a weird way that you echo i uh, spoke with gaz chowdhury one of our basketball players wheelchair basketball players on a past episode he is just getting into acting and cool. he was saying exactly the same thing you know he wanted to get to a point where it wasn't the fact that he was in a wheelchair that meant that he got the parts it was the fact that he was the best at the job was which was why he got the part and we need to stop clapping our hands at oh look there's a wheelchair user oh look there's an amputee and go, oh, they're really good at what they do. Wow. <laughs> That's exactly it. And I think, you know, and I've certainly been aware of when I felt the box ticking exercise or I'm, I'm only in this room because I use a wheelchair. And that has been an insecurity that's haunted me most of my TV career because I, the massive imposter syndrome that we probably all have and all identify with and all recognize, especially women, that for me has really come around as my career's evolved in telly because there's so few of us. I'm like, am I only here because I just 
and box ticking for the channel or am I only here because they are in trouble because their quotas aren't up and you know what I mean I like that that has been a real voice of concern for me and trying to prove myself constantly like I'm actually good at the job I'm actually okay when I don't know if I am you know and all those things those are real concerns and I think so to Gaza's point absolutely we should only be in the room if we're good enough for the job but then when it comes to it sometimes you think the door has been opened for me because I'm a wheelchair user. Certainly, I, I don't know if I would have had a career in TV if I didn't use a wheelchair. So we're still at that point, really, where it's still uncertain if that's why we're there. It's not We're not judged in a meritocracy. It's not That's not the environment television is at the moment or however, I don't know, for us anyway. you know. But then I keep coming back to my, so my self-doubts would tell me that I'm only there because I'm a wheelchair user and those are my insecurities. And then... I, you know, I proved that wrong. I proved myself wrong by getting another job and, and doing another thing. And then I'm like, oh, well, maybe I'm all at this, you know, and, and that, and maybe, oh, well, hold on, I've just got my own show. And that's, that's a big deal. And you know what I mean? So I'm like, okay, that voice of insecurity slowly is being eroded. But I think by the nature of this job, with the visibility politics of it all, it will always be there. But yeah. I, I, I don't want to paint a negative picture because I think if anyone's listening to this and they want to do what you and I have done, which is step into presenting in that way and broadcasting, it, it's possible. It is possible. It's just, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard for anybody. But I think it's harder for us because there's just not as much opportunity yet. People still do see us as that. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I almost see it exactly the same, but in a different light because I go, oh, am I just here because I'm an athlete and people maybe know my face? And I think it, it's such a natural, everyone questions, oh, am I here because 90% of the time it's because it's you're actually really, really good at what you do. And sometimes you are just a boss. That's what you do. It's life. It's life. It is. But one of those opportunities was obviously working on the London 2012 Paralympic Games. You've been to as many Paralympics as me. How exciting is that? <laughs> I remember you had it. I remember you in 2012. What a moment that must have been for you. I, I mean... I think I've told you this story. I often, yes. Yeah, so yeah, I did get into the Paralympics and I, I should explain. So basically I wanted to kind of work in telly. I was excited by that opportunity, and, but I hadn't been given that opportunity because there wasn't any opportunities. And I tried, I did a couple of things for the BBC and made a documentary here and there, but nothing was, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't many, many chances for me to work or progress. Anyway, the 2012 games came around and I contacted Channel 4 and I said, hello, can I please be a part of this? I don't get what I do. I just want to be a part of this journey. I, I recognised there was something big was going to happen and I wanted to be part of it. And I, thankfully, I did get a job. But I, all my job was, Hannah, was reading the weather for the breakfast news on Channel 4. And my job was to sit in the Olympic Park at like six in the morning with a picture of like a sun or a cloud, or rain cloud or whatever, <laughs> and just hold it up. And that was literally... All of my job was, but I was delighted. I was like, I'm part of the Paralympics. This is amazing. I mean, I was this tiny role. But the thing that was exciting for me on a personal level was actually, I think I told you this story, you know, I'd go through the park to get to and from work and people would confuse me for you because <laughs> you had just had this amazing experience at the games and you were smashing it. And, every, and, and I don't know how it was for you, but from our perspective outwardly, you were literally catapulted into the public eye. And and certainly the re- reaction by the public was such, um, just, it was amazing. And and I would go through the through Westfield and I'm, I will never forget this little girl being like, can I have a picture, can I have a picture? And, and bear in mind before that, I've been paralyzed, what, at that point, nearly 10 years. 
no one had ever paid me any attention. You know what I mean? It was <laughs> we're just you know we weren't. You know what it's like. We disabled people are invisible most of the time, and suddenly this little girl came, "Buddy, can I have a picture? Can I have a picture?" And then I realised she thought that it was you. <laughs> so, but I pretended. To, I was like, "Nah, no, I'm scared to go." I was so funny. But it was an amazing turning point for me as a disabled person. For me, as in terms of like the Paralympics shifted people's attitudes to disability in a way that I had was unprecedented. But also, yeah, professionally, that's when I started getting involved with the Paralympics. And even though I was in a tiny role then, and it wouldn't be for another four years that I would actually elevate and, and get this amazing opportunity to present as a lead anchor. That's when it started. And it started for all of us because actually Channel 4 recognised how people responded to it in such an amazing way that there was a reason now you couldn't debate the fact that disabled people should be on TV, whether they're doing sport or not. That was that was the exciting part of it. It was like, we're here, we're not going anywhere. Absolutely. I mean, I'm glad someone got to enjoy those post-race moments because I was completely locked down from the public, mostly for that reason. I remember the first day that I was allowed out of the village. It was after my second my second gold. I went into Westfield with Johnny Peacock and we were both like, oh, we're just wearing like our normal everyday clothes. We're not in kit. And they offered us bodyguards and security and everything. We were like, don't be ridiculous. It's fine. Nobody's watching. We genuinely believed nobody was watching. And we just went out. And I remember seeing like myself or Johnny or Dave, we were on the front of every magazine and we just got absolutely mobbed. And it was like, oh, wow, something's something's happened. That's <laughs> 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 Oh wow, what an experience that must have been. Well, I, I benefited vicariously. It was extraordinary. It was amazing. Well, and congratulations. And and honestly, it was a turning point. Yeah, it was amazing. That whole window. I mean, London 2012 was. We still look back on it. I think any one of us who works in the Paralympic movement, the Paralympics in general, it was just the most. It was. Oh, the time of my life, it's the time I'd go back to. Every single day is the time I'd go back to. And I think, you know, for for someone with a disability, whether in sport or whatever, like, do you think that the Paralympics has a role in empowering people? It's a really good question. And I've debated it a lot over the years. And I think as a non-sports player, because I'd say bear in mind, I wasn't in the Paralympics before. People often ask me that, you know, what did you, what was your, what did you compete in? I was like, I, I wasn't. I, I came into this as a broadcaster. So I would say I have to be- debate is, you know, what has been the impact? Because certainly you need to look at the statistics or we need to look at the statistics about the lived experience of disabled people. And I'd say that so many of us are still, you know, there's there's so many problems. Unemployment gap is huge. Crime is, you know, on the rise. There's a lot of problems in, for disabled people as a community. So I think the Paralympics did a lot for empowering non-disabled people i think it made i think it had that impact i think it inspired a generation of disabled athletes i certainly think that happened i think there was a you know it put disability sport into another level it it made people realize just how elite para sport is and how absolutely how serious this is and, it, and i think it shift i mean it, it completely changed you know people's perceptions on on what disabled athletes can do I think that's phenomenal. But I think when we look at, which I do, the wider, like, lasting impact, it's still hard, you know, it's still hard to, to know. And there are surveys and studies and all sorts. Scope did some research into this. I know Channel 4 did some research into this. And, you know, there are some studies that say it changed people's attitudes. 
there are some people that say it didn't. And, and, and I don't know where to pull that from. I think what I do know, my lived experience is it changed certain areas of our lives. It changed representation of disability on screen. Um, it changed, as I said, disability sport. It changed people's attitudes to an extent. In so many ways it, it did, but we've still got such a long way to go. And I will always be that person that will look in and go, right, how can we leverage the Paralympics to make it the greatest? How can we use it as, as, a, as a vehicle through which we can change the wider attitudes and the, and the kind of, you know, make it into a movement that has lasting impact so that disabled people can be integrated in ways that we still struggle. So that's a really long-winded answer to your question, but I think I hope it explains what I think is that it's it did and it didn't. Your answer was perfect because, like I said, I, I always interview athletes and our answer is always, oh, look, the 2012 changed the world. It changed our lives. It changed the lives of a disabled person because we only saw the benefits, right? We were made into the superhumans. We saw ourselves paralleled onto this just it's such an amazing stage and actually I had a really interesting interaction after London where obviously for months and months I had so many people coming up to me and saying wow you're amazing well done you've made my life like I've, I started sport I do this and and I actually had someone come up to me and say you've you've made my life horrible you know I have people coming up to me now in the street saying that I'm a scrounger a benefit scrounger I'm a lazy I'm all these things because I don't do sport because I'm not in the Paralympic Games and I think it made me think much like your answer made me think like as amazing as it is for those of us that are able to do sport it portrays such an able disability like all the people who do the Paralympic Games we are we're so so lucky that we have the ability to do it so I think it's really important for for people to hear the perspective of someone who's not an athlete someone who's not in the middle of it and and reaping I guess, all the rewards that we get. Yeah, I think it's important just to kind of take an outsider's view because, and I'll tell you why. So it's interesting because the Olympics aren't meant to be representative of, you know, all people, of, of the lived experience of all human beings. But the Paralympics are meant to be, they, they carry this significance in our community. And I'll tell you why. It's because it's the very, there's not much representation of disability in general on on in the mainstream. But when the Paralympics come around, disabled people are mainstreamed and right disabled athletes i should say are mainstream and people like myself are mainstreamed people broadcasters etc so suddenly we we come out of the of the shadows into the light almost and so as a result it has the potential to be used as a vehicle to change people's perceptions and that's where it's exciting but then at the same time as you say it's not representative of all disabled people it's not you know for many disabled people they can't, you can't even get in the gym it's exactly you know what I mean and and so it's easy and so we we must be honest about that that it but also we shouldn't put so much responsibility on the Paralympics its job is to do what it's, its job which is sport and Paralympic sport and so but yet we all of us activists and campaigners and advocates lean in and go right this is our moment we've got four years every every four years is a moment where disability gets brought out and let's use it to have more conversations around some of the issues that people might not be aware of that we're dealing with. And we kind of all latch onto it, and rightly so. And I hope with every Games that these these conversations expand and people listen more. And But also, it's, you know, at the end of the day, the Paralympics' job is to do its job, which is the, the Paralympics. So it's it's not, you know, we shouldn't always expect it to to do 
this wider wider societal change that's it was it's just unrealistic but it's an opportunity for us, us to use it and so we'll see you know at paris for example what's gonna and, and the legacy of the games is so exciting to me what's gonna happen in paris how's infrastructure going to change for, for disabled people outside of the games how is their lives going to impact that's the question i always get i, I always ask just like london changed you know some of the infrastructure changed because of the games and i live in london so i saw that i saw the sea change and that was and that still benefit i still benefit from that today so there is you know legacy is important as well as just watching great sport <laughs> yeah just the entertainment i'm just there for entertainment <laughs> but you are very vocal about disability rights and the issues that we face you know in travel in everyday life in everything that we do and you've been named as one of the most influential disabled people in the UK, which is very impressive. <laughs> Do you feel like you have a duty to try and make a difference, to try and make a change? I probably do feel like I have a small duty to do that because maybe people listen sometimes when I speak. Do you feel the same? I would say, yes, I do. My advocacy is a choice that I make. I might not do this forever. I might not want to constantly draw attention to where things go wrong in my life or for our community. There might be a choice at some point in my life where I go, do you know what? I'm I'm tired of doing this. But right now, I think every disabled person who has a platform, whether it's deliberate or accidental, you know, through you, 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 you became, you're a sports person. You weren't, you're not trying to be an advocate, but you have a platform. I feel we do have a responsibility purely because there's so much that needs work. You know, there's so much. People could look at you, Hannah, and make the assumption, which people so often do with disabled people, they assume so much about our lives. They could assume that you have it super easy because you're superhuman, you're Hannah Cockworth, you win all these golds, you know what I mean? But they don't. Yeah, absolutely. No, you still can't access, I don't know, I'm not going to assume that I know about your life, but I would assume as a fellow wheelchair user, you struggle with transport. You str There's so many things that you struggle with. And, and... I think it's really important that people are aware of this duality that we, in which we live, that we can be like me, a broadcaster and work on telly. But yeah, I still can't go to the loo on a on an aeroplane or get onto a train, or I can't access most of the you know the buildings around me where I live in London, and and, and not just physical access. There's societal, attitudinal barriers that I face everywhere, and you know I, I get treated badly with an in, in a discriminative way quite often. And so yep. I think it's really important to, to be honest about that so that people realise whilst we are making progress, we are also in need of allyship, you know, from, from everybody so that we can, yeah, just be integrated and experience equality. Things. Yeah. And I think it's so important to make people think differently about things like I'm, I'm on training camp right now. So I'm literally staying at a sports complex. And the first day we arrived, we went to the gym and we got told that people like us are not allowed in here. I, imagine going, I'm an elite athlete and yeah. I've arrived and been told I, I'm not allowed in the gym. How does that, like, and I think people just never yeah. imagine that's going to, like I sit there and I go, I got a sec, what you yeah. <laughs> Oh, and it just, it makes you want to, I don't know about you, but these things make me, internally I kind of die a little bit. I'm like, for God's sake, are you serious? And the activist in me, the, the really, that, that, you know, that fiery side of me and I know you've got that too that competitive part of you kind of goes do you know what no I will fight this but for every person that decides to fight it and challenge it or maybe make a fuss about it on social media or do something about it or write to their MP or do something there will be others that don't do anything and that then that will mean their life is then 
limited again. And it's not about the physical attitudes. I think we are so limited by people's attitudes. Yeah. It's such a dangerous, dangerous barrier for us that we need to re-educate and, and make people aware. And I, I get that because I was once non-disabled and I get people's attitudes. I understand their, their thinking. And I think for me, it's a case of constantly re-educating because I am re-educating myself. And, you know, people yet to, people don't realise, Hannah, they just don't have a clue. Yeah, to deal it's with. so true. Again, I watch your social media and I'm just like, oh, yeah, been there. Yeah, done that. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And, and behind the scenes, I'm getting messages from people going, oh, my God, I can't believe that. Like, yes, that's, yeah, that's this happening. is true. This is real. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but for every, you don't know who's watching and for anyone who's watching and suddenly sees, oh, I didn't know that that was what happens. That's one person changed. And it's it's just, that's what we, all we can do. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the same in anything in life. You know, I always think it, one person maybe will watch me on the track and decide that, that they can do that. And you hope that that one person is the person's life that you change that day or that year or... Even that lifetime, one person is fine. And you can't you can't contrive it, but you can hope it. And you hope that, like you said, uh, you said, and I agree, that we didn't see people like us on out there or on telly. And certainly we didn't even have social media when we were growing up. But, but now we do. And that's such a great vehicle for like our community. We can we can spread our messages. There's no gatekeepers on social media. Well, there are, but there's less gatekeepers on social media. We have a platform there to spread the word. Absolutely. So after being involved in three Paralympic Games so far, even though you were just a sunshine for one of them. Um, <laughs> will you be making it a fourth in two years' time when we, hopefully, I head to Paris in 2024? Exciting, isn't it? I, do you know what? It's a short answer, so I don't know. I hope so. I've got such high hopes for those Games because they're so close to home, obviously, that the time difference is going to be so great. Which means that <laughs> the audiences, I don't realise how restrictive those time differences are for audience obviously so tokyo was challenging for that reason it was and for lots of reasons wasn't it but let's <laughs> i don't want i really i hope so hannah and i hope and in in, in la i'm out actually i'm in la at the moment and there's talk about la 28 already here it's exciting times so i don't know we'll see but you know at the moment it's my agenda has been for a while now is actually to because i that was my in was the paralympics and that was my door opener into telly i had an agenda to to get my own show and that was like my dream and that's just happened which is exciting goes out in a couple of weeks and I hope that keeps happening so I'm focused on that I haven't really thought about parents but if the opportunity's there and you know the, the gang of us that have been brought up through the games in the last four cycles if, if we're back in there brilliant but also I really believe strongly in the handing over the baton to the next lot of talent to come yeah. through that's what what we should be doing and i really hope that i don't know who's going to be brought in but you know ex now retired athlete athletes should be just as we do with other sports they should be coming in as pundits and presenters and trained up and you know i i, I think that's that's the legacy as well that's part of the legacy piece new talent new skill new expertise coming through coming through it's almost like if i am there presenting it again it's always like we haven't done our job. We should be bringing more talent through, maybe. But you know, I'm not going to say no. Um, <laughs> that's okay. I'm not. I'm not greedy in that respect. It's more like who are the best again. Who are the best people for the job, Anna? Yeah, completely agree. So alongside charitable work, being involved in the Paralympics, 
past Paralympics, presenting your own TV show, writing your own book, driving forward. I've got it here to read with me. What, what is next? Because, I mean, is there anything left to do? Because you seem to just be ticking every box that people have ever dreamed of. It's What's the next crazy thing that I'm going to see on your Instagram and go, oh, I didn't know that we could do that. <laughs> do you know what? I don't know. I think, I think I have to say I feel I'm in an interesting point now because I've lived to 18 years as a disabled person and 18 years as a non-disabled person now. I'm at that mark and I feel I'm at the beginning of a new chapter and I think I think I'm at a point where I want to live somewhere else. I want to change my life quite radically. I love my job so I don't want to give that up but I keep I've, I've been spending a lot of time in America just for work reasons and the access here is actually incredible it's so transformative I don't know so there might be a move on the cards there might not be I don't know but I think this year is all about going as big as I possibly can I want more of my own show I hope that happens more other other shows I've got various exciting projects bubbling away I want to do a lot more traveling a lot more traveling because the world's really opening up for us and I want to draw attention to the places that are doing it well. I just, oh, Hannah, there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> I love that. And I can't wait to follow it along. Um, I could genuinely talk to you forever, Sophie, because you've just got such a exciting outlook on life. And you put things so, so well that I don't think I could see myself. But I know you are a very busy lady. You're not going to change the world sitting talking to me. So I'm going to let you go. But thank you so much for coming and, and having a chat on the Paralympics Week podcast. And, and I genuinely can't wait to see what you do next genuinely can't thanks and me and best of luck with it all thank you for having me thanks for listening for more information on paralympics gb head to paralympics.org.uk and follow us on the socials at paralympics gb also don't forget to hit subscribe or follow wherever it is you are listening to this show as there'll be more shows, more guests and more stories from behind the scenes in Paralympic sport to come. Thanks for listening and see you next time. The Paralympics GB Podcast with Hannah Cockcroft.